And welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. Brett, I know that you've kind of got a new sponsor for us, or, you know, Hunter already introduced us, but I'm going to kick it over to you let you kind of take it from there. Yeah, man, I'm, I am super pumped that the Bama Beat Podcast is brought to you by Homefield Apparel, premium college collegiate apparel out of Indianapolis, comfortable, officially licensed with vintage college designs. You've probably heard of their of their product before on other podcasts, but if you haven't, you know of them now. They just released a line of Alabama stuff on Saturday, the day of the, the Mississippi State game, which we'll be recapping shortly. And the whole thing with Homefield Apparel is they dig through the archives to find unique logos, mascots, etc., and make thoughtful designs for Alabama fans and print those logos on the most comfortable tees and hoodies you'll ever own. I can I can say that with experience. I own a Homefield Apparel t-shirt and once my once my wife and I saw some of the the logos on these Alabama stuff, um, uh, we made a purchase, put it that way. There's there's a vintage crew neck with like a block a and the circle university of alabama seal on it that that my wife got um also the the rammer jammer shirt uh rammer jammer yellow hammer it's it's literally the picture the the picture on the shirt is of the bird the yellow hammer it's fantastic um you can go to homefieldapparel.com to look at all of the uh of the hoodies t-shirts and sweatshirts they have for you there's one of a naked big owl wearing a white football helmet that is just incredible. If you're making your first pick purchase on Home Field Apparel, use the promo code BAMABEAT to get 20% off. Again, if it's your first purchase, use the promo code BAMABEAT. You'll get 20% off of your purchase. I know a lot of you uh, made your purchase over the weekend as, as Home Field rolled it out, but if you haven't yet, now you have a promo code to do it with. So go to Home Field Apparel dot com and look at all the bama stuff they have i think it's over a hundred schools on there now um so, so if you happen to have friends live elsewhere in the country and maybe they're florida state fans or they're central michigan fans or vandy fans or virginia tech fans they have stuff on home field apparel for you so it's a great place to go unique t-shirt hoodie comfortable at home field all right, so uh, what a game on Saturday! Pretty wild, um, you know. It, it's interesting because you would think forty-one to nothing that it would just be an absolute bloodbath, and and to some degree it was. But there were a couple of rough spots in there for Alabama. We'll be talking about that, I'm sure. Uh, but you know, like we do every week, Brett, starting off the podcast, what were some of your initial thoughts on the game? So I want to, I want to ask you it. Would it be hypocritical of me to say that I'm not fully bought in to this defense yet? Because my my line of thinking coming into this game was that, yes, the defense performed a lot better against Tennessee against Georgia, but those are offenses that don't really do a lot of the things that Ole Miss and Missouri and Texas A&M did well to, to put Bama's defense in the position that it was in through three weeks and Mississippi state does some of those things, but they don't do them. uh, They don't do them the same way. Like the air raid is just such a unique, different thing. Like they aren't running RPOs that that Ole Miss and Missouri were, were running. They don't, I mean, they obviously don't run like the power read and the inverted reads and uh, inside zone reads and stuff like that. Cause they barely run at all, much less run, some of the more uh, modern running schemes that have that have taken over the the sport lately. So I, I don't know. Like, is it is it hypocritical of me to not buy into this defense after that performance? No, I'm right there with you. Um, in fact, if 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 Mike Leach would have been, if two things would have happened, uh, I think that this could have been a little bit different as far as completely blanking Mississippi State had one of two things happen. A, had Kylan Hill not opted out and he had gotten back in the good graces, whatever is going on, I still don't know the situation, but I just know that he hadn't been available for Mississippi State. But if he would have been in that backfield based off of what Alabama was doing um, and 
my the the is if Leach would have chose to utilize Kylan Hill or the running game in general, I feel like this would have been a little bit different. But it's like you said last week, I gave Mike Leach a lot more credit. And I do think eventually he's going to have an offense that can be fairly difficult to defend. You know, you, you made the point last week a lot, you know, early on in his tenure, whether it be at Texas Tech, whether it be at Washington State, starts off rocky, gets the guys buying into the system, gets the right players involved, and then, you know, starts to take kind of the next steps. And maybe that can happen in the SEC too. But you also brought up how stubborn he is. And and just with the way that Alabama was deciding to defend this Mississippi State defense, this is something that even you know Nick Saban talked about. They had even been doing some stuff during fall camp, kind of preparing for this style of offense. So uh, the, the guys or the defenders that were actually going to be on the field – weren't completely blindsided the week of, you know, something that they were fairly familiar with, but it set up nicely for Mississippi State to try to take advantage of what Alabama was trying to do by running the football, and you got only 15 carries uh, total, and, and several of those, you know, four of those 15 carries came from the quarterbacks when they were trying to, you know, it wouldn't really design runs too much either, so it's just very very stubborn and set in his ways uh that, that doesn't mean that i'm down on alabama's defense it's just i still say it's an unknown like you pointed out georgia in the uh in the second half not a you know they didn't throw a whole lot at alabama's defense tennessee for four quarters didn't throw a ton at alabama's defense and mississippi state despite the fact that they're known as like an or they're supposed to be known as like an offensive a very difficult offense to defend they just weren't doing a whole lot or having a whole lot of success with whatever they were doing, and they were being just very set in their ways. They weren't switching things up to try to confuse or throw Alabama's defense for a loop. It was just, hey, let's line up, try to throw the ball you know, 50 times, 55 times, whatever it ends up being, and see if we can't beat them that way. And, and it just it didn't lend for a whole lot of success. I tried to tell you, man. You did. You did. And I just I thought – I thought, you know what, this is the game. This is the game where he approaches it and says, I think I can ride a lot of ships and get a lot of people off my back if we can, at the very least, you know, even if you pull an old Miss and you keep things respectable and you keep it close, um, I think that you're going into this week feeling pretty good. And Mike Leach talked about in his post-game press conference that he felt like that his team battled really hard, um, that, that they're, you know, eventually that's not going to be okay, just battling and playing really hard. He, he, he I think his comment was, you know, they just did some very some sloppy play and a lot of dumb stuff uh, is the way that he put it. And, you know, he, he pointed to the youth uh, on that team as as to kind of, you know, maybe not justify it, but, you know, as a reason. And, and that's, that's kind of valid. There is some youth there as far as the offense is concerned. But just I don't think that Mike Leach really helped his team very much. Uh, there was things that he could have at least tried to do. And it's like, you know, Mac Jones was still taking deep shots on the other side of the football. Mike Leach was taking, or excuse me, uh, Mac Jones was still taking deep shots despite the fact that uh, Mississippi State's defense was set up to prevent the 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 deep passes. You know, they, they he was still trying to loosen them up and say, you know what, we're going to try to do what we do well. But Alabama started to adjust and take what was being given to them. Mississippi State, on the other hand, Alabama was giving you the run all night, and you still weren't taking. You you still thought, you know what? Well, throwing the football is not working, uh, but we'll just keep throwing the football. Maybe it will eventually start working, and it just it didn't play out that way. That's Mike Leach, man. He this is this is what he does. That little like half notepad looking piece of paper that he holds in his hand that is his entire call sheet whereas lane kiffin has the waffle house menu right like (laughs) that call sheet has not changed since he took the head coaching job at texas tech in like 2000 or whatever that was this the the scheme and the play calls you saw on saturday that is mike leach's offense in its entirety will it work later on in in his Mississippi State tenure uh, remains to be seen, but the the Mississippi State offense you saw on Saturday, not from a success standpoint, but from a play calling and ideological ideological standpoint, that is going to be Mississippi State for every second that Mike Leach is their head coach. I, I, now, to go back to Bama's defense, I will say this. I don't want to sound like everything about 
Alabama's better defensive play over the last three weeks is entirely based on um, the offense because the the thing the aspect that really stood out in that game was the open field tackling because the way Alabama was playing Mississippi State, which was a lot of rush three, drop eight into soft zone, you're you're kind of forcing the ball to be thrown into the more or less where like a drag route would go or where a mesh would happen, right? Like it's very short in the middle of the field for the most part, probably no more than three or four yards ahead of the line of scrimmage. And you're letting the wide receiver catch that ball and look in front of him and just see humanity, just see dudes in crimson jerseys there. And it's a lot of space because it's kind of a soft zone. You're zagging, you're, you're, you're sagging back a little bit. But it's still space, and there are a lot of opportunities where Bama did not tackle in space specifically against Ole Miss that they did against Mississippi State. So there there are certain aspects of Alabama's defense, like tackling in open space and, in theory, playing better against tempo that they can prove right now, even against offenses that don't operate the same way with similar talent that, that Ole Miss did, but uh, they can prove that at least. So I thought the open field tackling was better. And so I want your thoughts on that. And I want your thoughts on this too. I posted this on Tide Sports uh, first thing Monday morning. If, if we're going to, if we're more or less going to wait for someone to do to Alabama, what Ole Miss was doing to Alabama to determine if this defense is real or if it's not, I, I think I really think we're not going to get that answer until, in theory, the college football playoff. Because let's look at Bama's schedule from here on out. LSU, they they run the right scheme, but they're not any good at it right now, for for all we can tell, based on their recent uh, performances. Kentucky is allergic to offense; they don't know what it is. They don't plan on learning anytime soon. Auburn, that football team is different every hour of every day. Maybe they're a good team on the day the Iron Bowl happens. Maybe they're not. Who knows? No one no one ever knows. Arkansas is better than they were last year, but doesn't say much for their quality on a national scale. Plus, they're running a, a Kendall Bryles offense, which is a little different in ideology. And then in theory, you're facing Georgia again in the SEC championship game. We, we've already discussed their offensive shortcomings. So in theory, if you're looking for a team with proven offensive success and proven offensive talent running a modern approach to football, Bama really might not face that until the college football playoff. So it's entirely possible, at least the way I'm looking at it, we won't know if Bama's defense is real or if it's not until then, which is kind of a a strange, uh, strange way to live, isn't it? Well, uh, yeah, and, and I agree with you for the most part. And I, I still think, and I'll continue to reiterate this, and we'll just have to see, you know, um, I still think that LSU's offense can be difficult uh, for Alabama here in a couple of weeks. And, and the reason it being, can be, but we don't know that it will. Right. And, and, you know, TJ Finley, you know, after that start against South Carolina, everybody was singing his praises. Oh, is it possible that he, he maybe can end up sticking as the starter over Miles Brennan? Well, things were set up very well in that game for him. You know, special teams touchdown. Uh, you had a defensive touchdown. Um, you had the, the run game played fantastic. Uh, so he had a complimentary defense, complimentary run game complimentary uh, special teams play to take tons of pressure off of him. They didn't really do a whole lot as, as kind of, you know, slinging the ball downfield. I think he was only one for four uh, for 26 yards and an interception on passes that travel more than 15 yards, but it was a very effective offense because of what, it, what was happening everywhere else. You know, they were able to play off, play TJ Finley off the run game. And then against Auburn, my big thing for Auburn heading into that game was can you force more of this, you know, the responsibility of putting up points on the shoulders of, of TJ Finley? Can you do a better job of stopping the run game? Can you do a better job of, of your offense putting up points against that LSU defense? Can you, uh, you know, prevent, make the tackles that you need to make on special teams to prevent them from blowing one wide open and helping him out through that avenue? And Auburn was able to do all of that, at least, you know, to some degree. That put more pressure on Finley, and he didn't play well. So I think that he that 
really he was a main driving force, in my opinion, of holding uh, LSU's offense back this past week. And I think when Miles Brennan gets back, I'm not saying, you know, I was very critical of Miles Brennan coming into this season. And, and I, I mean, I said that I thought he was going to be pretty bad, especially to start off. But what I've seen, or at least in the couple of games that I was able to watch him, is I saw improvement at, at least. And so now he's, to me, becoming more of an unknown factor where I say, okay, if he's healthy here in a couple of weeks against Alabama – then maybe that LSU offense can get back to a point where we saw them going, you know, playing against Missouri. He was very effective going against uh, Mississippi State. Another loss, very effective. Uh, so he's he's been playing very well in Vanderbilt. You know, you can only take away so much from that, but he played fantastic in that game too. So I, that that's why I say that LSU to me right now is that one team, even more so than than Auburn. And it's just the way that Auburn schematically runs things. And, and they'll do some things to put some pressure on Alabama. They did last year, despite the fact they had a lot of limitations too. So to say that they won't cause Alabama's defense much problems, I'm sure they will. But LSU is the one where I say, okay, I still think that they can be a football team that can, A, if Alabama tries to sell out for the pass like they did, did against Mississippi State, they have a run game that's good enough to take advantage of that. If Alabama puts too much of an emphasis on the run game, I think Miles Brennan and Terrace Marshall and Eric Gilbert, they have enough in the passing game with a, a, a more veteran option like Miles Brennan to actually take advantage of Alabama. So Alabama's going to have to be very balanced in the game, more so than I think they've had to be against Georgia. More Now, granted, in that first half against Georgia, because of what Stetson Bennett was able to do when Alabama was trying to kind of not sell out for the run, but their focus was the run game and to put the pressure on Stetson Bennett. Uh, you know, Stetson Bennett was taking advantage of that, and in the second half he didn't. But this game against LSU, in my opinion, here in a couple of weeks, and we'll get we'll have a, a preview pod next week where we'll really dive in and we'll talk more about this. But I think that Alabama will be able to – we should be able to find out enough about where they're actually at as far as the defense. Now, you're, I'm not saying that they're going to look as good as they did against Mississippi State. I highly doubt that. I think like six of – seven six of the seven first half drives for mississippi state went three and out you know it was just three and out three and out three and out um the the one drive that didn't was like four plays for 13 yards and then another punt so the defense was just you know it was about as and like i said mike leach i really feel like was making it as easy as possible on alabama's defense as he possibly could and we'll you know like i said Alabama, you can't ask Alabama to do any more. What do you, I mean, are you going to blame them because Mississippi State wasn't throwing anything at them that was overly difficult? No. But you can sit there and say, okay, based off of the way they were playing at the beginning of the season, I still have my reservations, but I think that I hope um, that, you know, we'll get a much clearer picture of the improvement that this defense has shown come LSU week. But I completely agree with you where there are some, you know, I sit there and say, I think they're they're getting better in certain areas. Like you said, the tackling, definitely. You have to acknowledge the fact that they're playing a little bit more soundly. You don't have the defensive lapses uh, that, that offenses could take advantage of because you can do that against really anybody. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a dynamic offense that you're facing for them to for you to have a defensive lapse and allow them to hit you with a big play. You didn't see many big plays. Really, you saw no big plays from Mississippi State's offense. So, yeah. Uh, is there improvement? Yes. I'm not 100% sold, though. I, I agree. And I, I think you put it well when you said you hope that, that LSU can uh, can provide a good offense for, for Alabama to, to face. Because, I, I mean, I don't want to wait until the semifinal to know what this defense is. I, I don't want to wait that long. I want Alabama know. can afford to. Yeah. True. True. Cause if <laughs> that's another good point, you don't want to, you don't want to find out something about half of your team in a college football playoff game. Cause in, in a lot of cases that goes, that goes pretty poorly. Um, but yeah, I think you, I would love for LSU to present a competent offensive threat to Alabama and, see what happens um, uh, for better or for worse. I want to see what happens because this team kind of needs to know what that is um, as it goes in. I, 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 it does sound like we agree on the open field tackling being better and, and some aspects of the defense undeniably being better than what they were three weeks ago. Um, so it's not like it's entirely based on opposition or, or lack thereof in in some instances, but 
it's like I said, I, I wanted to make sh- I wanted to see if I was being hypocritical and not buying in because my thing was Georgia and Tennessee run their offenses a certain way, uh, not very conducive to exposing the flaws that Alabama had. Uh, previously, Mississippi State might do it a little bit more, but even then, State Bama ran such a different defense against State because they did the research. They they found teams that rush three and drop eight tend to perform pretty well against this against this offense. Even uh, those that don't necessarily rush three and drop eight in their in their every down defense or as part of their basic uh, defensive scheme, which is definitely not for Alabama. Um, they still had success against the air raid. So a lot of credit goes to, uh, I'm going to say a trigger phrase for many listeners of this podcast. A lot of credit goes to Pete Golding for, for installing that, uh, that system and the entire defensive staff, of course, for installing that and, and having Alabama executed as well as they did. And, uh, relatively one week of, of prep Saban did say they drilled this in the, in the preseason, knowing that they would have to to make this change during the, the season, but they, they did that. It, it went well. It doesn't prove that all of their issues from the first three weeks are gone, but it does show progression in that, in that realm. And, and now we wait to see if anyone before the end of the regular season can present Alabama with the other things that they struggle with early. Well, I don't know if you realize this, Brett, but when, when the, the defense is playing poorly. All the responsibility falls on Pete Golding. But when good things happen, like a good system is is installed or a good game plan for a particular offense, that's all Nick Saban. You know, we, we give we we're not supposed to give uh, Pete Golding any credit for anything good. Um, yeah. I th- I think uh, uh, the good and the bad is a little bit of a mix of both uh, parties, to be honest with you. And I'll continue to reiterate that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And and if, you know, going down to an individual performance. Um, you know, I thought Dylan Moses was was a lot better in this game. You didn't get to see him as far as run fits very much. I think he was on the field. For, it was like less than 10 run snaps because Mississippi State just didn't run the football very much. Um, but, you know, he wasn't great necessarily in that area. He wasn't terrible either. He just he, there was nothing that stood out to me in that area, which there weren't many opportunities to. But in coverage, I thought he had one of his better performances. I thought he saw the field a lot better. He was in position a lot better. And, and the same kind of goes for Christian Harris. I thought that they're, you know, them as a duo is getting better, and and that's still to me the big, the most mind-boggling thing of the defense in general is just the fact that coming into this year, I thought Dylan Moses and Christian Harris are going to be the best inside linebacker tandem in all of college football, and it's not even going to be close. And they have not lived up to that so far, but they are getting better. So you have to give them credit from an individual standpoint. You know, Will Anderson, um, you know, he continued to to provide some some pressure, made a couple of splash plays against the run. That was great to see. Uh, and really just the defense in general, as far as, you know, coming into this game, I thought, okay, what's going to end up happening is, is I think this is going to be Alabama's coming out party as far as their pass rush is concerned. And, and to some degree, that was true. They gave up, you know, Mississippi State gave up a total of 16 pressures. 12 of those were hurries. Two were quarterback sacks and two were quarterback hits. And, you know, so I think Alabama did have a pretty good day as far as their pass rush. But one thing that, you know, needs to be pointed out is that sometimes Alabama defensively, their goal is not necessarily to get after the quarterback. You know, there's a reason that week over week you're seeing, you know, defensive linemen get their hands in passing lanes. And it's because that's the way it's it's being schemed. Uh, You know, you've got a good secondary. You've got the ability, some guys, you know, some bigger body guys who can get those long limbs up in the air. You just want to get in the passing lane of, uh, of some of these quarterbacks. And it was especially effective against Georgia. It was pretty effective at times against Tennessee. And we saw it again a couple of times against Mississippi State. But as far as when they are, you know, tasked to uh, to, to pin their ears back and get out to the quarterback, I thought they did a much better job um, in that regard. So that was really good to see. Uh, so you know, there's there's no ne- there's nothing negative to say about Alabama's defense. I mean, you know, giving up 200 total yards and zero points. And I pointed out on Twitter yesterday, you know, Devontae Smith had 203 receiving yards in the game. Mississippi State had 200 total yards in the game. So you, you can't point and say anything you know negative about that group 
except for the fact that you can say, well, there, we just we still don't know, and and that's okay. But it, from the looks of it, it looks like they're getting a lot better, and that's as as good of a sign that you could have possibly. I agree. I agree. the The pass rush is is something that had drawn some some fair and understandable criticism, um, and this was obviously a game where it would have an opportunity to, to feast both statistically and based on um, the, the scheme and what they're trying to do. Cause yes, they're trying to get their hands in some, in some pass pass lanes and uh, do all that. But this is also a scheme that in theory has some, some deeper routes and, and allows a quarterback to sit in the pocket for, two and a half, three seconds while some of those things develop. And those are, those are the opportunities that people like Will Anderson just feast on. Um, so this was an opportunity for them to, to write. This. That's, that's, a, that's something if, if nothing else, like a lot of this has been whether, whether it's real or not in terms of their ability to win the national championship or, or be a legitimate contender for it. But all of that will be determined later on, but at least for the meantime, they can develop some confidence off of it, which is something Saban kind of pointed to uh, after the game. They can go into the open week with their chest sticking out and their head held high, and there's a there's a certain value for that that can't be statistically explained. Yeah, I, I completely agree. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. When we get come back, we're actually going to be shifting the focus to the offensive side of the football. Talked a lot about the defense, and that's kind of where a lot of the questions have been coming from because everybody's thinking, oh, you know, does Alabama have an elite defense all of a sudden? So wanted to get those questions answered. Hopefully we did a good enough job of diving into that. We'll do more of it, of course, as, as more things develop over the next couple of weeks. But for now, uh, that'll kind of have to suffice. But like I said, quick break. On the other side of it, we'll be talking about the offense, so stick around for that. This is the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles. And what's the last one, Brett? Homefield Apparel. Boom. Home field apparel. All right, we'll be right back. We all need a moment to chill out these days, right? How do you hit the reset button? There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. These days, it's always go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. But it doesn't matter what team or what sport is playing. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or any team. So flip through the channels, find a sport, and crack open a Coors Light. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, a perfect moment to chill out. And trust me, when I need to unwind, I make sure my refrigerator is stocked up with Coors Light, and you should too. So go get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. That way, when you want to hit the reset button, you can reach for the beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. Uh, Brett, I got to be honest with you. The offense started really strong, 27 points in the in the first two quarters. Really started to tell off. I think they only scored seven because one of those touchdowns in the second half was defensive. Right. What did you think about the offense? I thought they got the job done. I mean, most of the fourth quarter was taken by the backups, so so take that into into account. And this is a pretty good Mississippi State defense, honestly. the The statistics: uh, four hundred ninety, excuse me, four hundred ninety nine yards, two hundred ninety one through the air, two hundred eight on the ground, six point eight yards per play, six for fourteen on third down. All of that, uh, three for four in the red zone. All of that seemed pretty pretty much what I expected. Like this, this state defense, we were kind of going back and forth last week as to whether this was or was not better than Georgia's defense. So that's kind of the, the unit they were facing here. The numbers may be underwhelming relative to the three previous performances, but I'd imagine pretty much all numbers are underwhelming relative to that. But uh, I thought it was, I thought it was as good as one could reasonably expect with with a defense as solid as Mississippi State's, did did you see something 
I thought it was a really good performance. And, and you saw what I liked is that you saw Mac Jones. He came out and everybody can admit he looked a little bit rocky. He was trying to to force some of those deep shots. And based off of what the defense was giving him, there was some underneath stuff. And, and granted, some of that was scripted and, and designed, but some of that was Mac Jones just wanted to, you know, kind of come out and hit the big play, you know, take the top off of the defense, get things rolling early. And he just he didn't look as comfortable as we've seen him in, in other games, but he bounced back and, and really started to take what the defense gave him. And what the, one of the biggest uh, pleasant surprises that I saw, of course, is it's going to be the one that everybody's talking about, which is Devontae Smith, but not necessarily from the statistical standpoint necessarily that plays into it. I mean, 11 catches for 203 yards and four touchdowns, um, you know, on 15 targets. But what I liked about it was – you know, this was a big question mark. You know, Alabama had the one A, one B with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle prior to Waddle's injury. And we feel like that John Mechie can be that one B in certain games, but you know, I at least I felt and I'm sure a lot of people felt the same way, that you know, Devontae Smith has the ability to to kind of take command of a true number one role a sole number one role on, you know, at least for, for a majority of the games or snaps, wherever you want to put it for the remainder of the season. And we saw that, I mean, you can't get any, you know, more than him being the clear cut number one receiver. The next guy in line was Slade Bolden and John Mechie, as far as catches are concerned, each of them only had three. So Devonte Smith almost had four times as many catches. And then, you know, Najee Harris, that's something that we talked about last week um, was, you know, could we see more, of Najee Harris in the receiving now that, that uh, Jalen Waddle was out for the season. And we did six catches for 36 yards. Didn't put up a huge output as far as yardage is concerned, but he caught all six of his targets. So he was a perfect hundred uh, percent. Didn't have any drops. I think Brian Robinson did, uh, but you know, he was a little bit nicked up. So that's kind of understandable. But the point being is, is you saw more usage uh, coming from him and we might see that a lot more moving forward so overall, I, I completely agree. Uh, I thought it was a very good performance. You had the lulls. Um, and, you know, I, I wasn't overly surprised by that necessarily um, because, like, you know, and, and this was the big question mark that I had with Mississippi State's defense coming in. I don't think – I still don't think that they're as good as Georgia, but they did prove they're a pretty effective, you know, unit. Uh, they, they definitely – caused Alabama some issues at times and you saw you know whether, whether it be um you know from a, a pass protection standpoint I thought you know Alex Leatherwood had a great game as far as pass protection but uh Evan Neal wasn't terrible uh but you, you know you saw a combination of a lot of different guys especially as the game continued to wear on but I thought Mississippi State did a pretty good job of trying to keep things uh contained as much as possible you didn't see as many big plays as we typically see from from an Alabama offense, and I think that's a reflection of Mississippi State. Really, the the only thing I want to touch on from this offensive performance was what you said earlier about uh, Najee Harris seeing more usage in, in Jalen Waddle's absence, and I, I ran the numbers on this. So Najee had 21 carries and six receptions. Devontae Smith had 11 receptions, so they combined for 38 of 73 total percent and you have to factor in that the second team was in the game for most of the fourth quarter to the point that Bryce Young had two pass attempts and one carry Trey Sanders had 12 carries in this game so if you kind of filter out the the garbage time touches it's it's probably it's a significantly higher percentage of your offense being dedicated to Devontae Smith and Najee Harris and I'll ask you the question after but I'm not sold that this is your formula going forward. I'm not sold that Devontae Smith and Najee Harris being this huge part of the offense is what you're going to see for the rest of the year with, with Jalen Waddle out. Now I do think Najee Harris is going to get that big of a, a rushing workload for, for reasons we kind of looked at in the, in the preseason in terms of Sarkeesian's track record of finding a feature guy and sticking with him. And I plan on, uh, going into that trend a little bit more next week uh, leading up to the LSU game on tiesports.com. But I don't know that this is going to be what Alabama is for the rest of the season because as pretty much every wide receiver has said over the course of the season and as the stats have shown, every wide receiver has their day. 
in in this offense. Devontae has games like this one where he goes for 11 for 203 and four touchdowns, but John Mechie went off against Texas A&M. Waddle has had a couple of big games before his season ended, and Alabama went a lot of two tight ends against Mississippi State. Now, I do think a lot of that was to just have the extra blocking help and the extra beef near the line of scrimmage to kind of deal with Mississippi State's slants and stunts and some of the different things they they do in Zach Arnett's defense. But if you're going to have those guys on the field, it, it would not surprise me if they became a little more uh, threatening in, in the pass attack. Miller Forrest all have one catch for, for 14 yards, but but again, they're, they're dealing with a lot of unique and different pressures from Mississippi State's defense. When you take some of that away for your future opponents, they, they may be more free and willing to, to go downfield and, and run some routes and possibly become a bigger part of Alabama's passing attack. And in future weeks. So that's that's my case for why I'm not sold that now that Waddle is out. What do you what do you think of that? Completely agree. Uh no, I I definitely don't think so. And I think that that was is what Nick Saban was alluding to when he you know kind of mentioned Trey Sanders specifically and, and the impact that he had and the fact that they really like what they've seen from him. They think he's a a, a very very good player as Nick Saban described him. And, and, and essentially he used him as an example, but it's not just him. You know, you can tell he's talking about the receivers, especially now that Jalen Waddle's out, you don't want to rely too much on one guy. And, and that's not kind of how Alabama has operated. You know, I understand there's been seasons you talk about Derrick Henry and the kind of season that he had, but I think Nick Saban liked the fact that Trey Sanders uh, showed that he can, you know, is kind of moving or trending in the direction of being able to handle more opportunities. Um, and, and, you know, when he was kind of the second guy out there pretty much, I thought, you know, well, okay, well, maybe he's taking the next step. And I even think I tweeted something about it. Come to find out it was more so that Brian Robinson was a little bit nicked up and they wanted to kind of limit what he was doing. But Trey Sanders took full advantage of his opportunities. He showed, uh, m- you know, more explosiveness. Early on, you didn't see that same explosion, but I think as he got more comfortable, he started running more confidently. The vision was there, ran with some power, um, was just what Alabama needed as far as, you know, a number two or a number three back. So now you're starting to get that depth. You know, you don't have to rely as much if you don't, uh, you know, want to on Najee Harris and Brian Robinson just being a one-two. You've got a third option in the mix. And then, you know, Nick Saban was talking about the receivers and the depth at that spot, you know, getting a lot of those true freshman reps uh, in this game. And the importance of that because, you know, he feels like that they're not just going to rely on Slade Bolden, uh, John Mechie, and and Devontae Smith. They want that fourth and fifth guy that they, you know, not necessarily – it might not be a situation where you rely on them from the standpoint of, um, you know, actually seeing significant snaps. But you want – if something happens to one of those top three receivers, especially now, you want to be comfortable knowing that you're – you know, that's what, something that Alabama felt very comfortable with. When, when Jalen Waddle went down with the injury, Alabama felt very comfortable with the three guys they were still going to be lining up on a snap-to-snap basis when they went three wide or, or, or more. And I think Alabama wants to continue to have that in case something else happens. They want to be, you know, exactly where they're going to go if something happens to one of those top three guys and they feel like whoever they're bringing in, they have the confidence to, to perform at a high level consistently. And so that's something that I know that, in you know, Nick Saban talked about, whether it be during this game and getting those valuable game reps, even though it wasn't a situation where they were running a bunch of routes and catching passes and stuff, that was valuable. Now you're heading into the bye week. There's probably going to be a huge emphasis on getting those guys up to speed and saying, okay, you're not just going to be, you know, guys standing on the sidelines looking good for the entirety of the season. There's probably going to be some times we're going to need you to see reps, whether it be, in you know, in uh, late in games, where you're one of the first people off the bench to start giving some of these guys like Devontae Smith rest or getting them out of the game because, you know, the game's in hand. Or if something, you know, somebody gets banged up or we need a spot rep here or there when somebody gets tired. I just think that that's what Nick Saban is looking for is its depth. And and hopefully, you know, during the bye week, they're able to, to get that. But, you know, I did find it interesting. You had David Pollock last week pretty much point to the Jalen Waddle injury and say, I think it's over for Alabama. I don't think they're winning a national championship without without Jalen. And to me, you know, you can it's very strange because 
it's like you would think losing that caliber of player, one of the most explosive playmakers, not just receivers, not just one of the best receivers, but just ex- explosive playmakers in general, losing that you would think would be you know detrimental. But for Alabama, it's not really – you can't focus on what Alabama lost. You've got to focus on what they still have. And what they still have is, one, of, in my opinion, one of the most explosive offenses in college football. And, and I think that they have enough there where you might lose some explosiveness, but I don't think it's as detrimental as people like David Pollock are saying. So for anybody that was freaking out about that quote last week, granted he's a talking head. He's supposed to have bold you know points and predictions and things like that. I don't think it's, you know, an, uh, at least it's not, in my opinion, a huge concern, but we'll kind of just have to see. Uh, to to address that that take, I, I think that – I don't know that you can say that unequivocally because, to me, it's all still relative to what Alabama's defense is and or becomes. If, if down the road – and this is obviously the worst-case scenario – if down the road we are to learn that the true form of Alabama's defense is what it was in the first three weeks of the season and you get to a game against a Clemson or an Ohio State in the college football playoff and you find that you're actually going to need like 55 points to win that game, then, then yes, not having Jalen Waddle on the field could very well be something that costs you that game. But if – Alabama's defense has improved and it continues to improve to the point where you play a Clemson or an Ohio state and you find you actually only need like 41 points, maybe even less than that to win the game. I I think you can still do that with what you have offensively with, with Slade Bolden and to your point about some of the, the depth they're trying to develop at the, the position that, that obviously manifests itself primarily in the in the freshmen, Javon Baker, Tyu Jones Bell, and and Treshawn Holden. Xavier Williams is is also in that mix, but of course all eyes are on the on the freshmen at the moment. Um I think you can still have that kind of an offense without Jalen Waddle because not only because Bolden and some of the others are athletic enough to do a lot of those those things but also the scheme is good and you still have just absolute ballers everywhere else on on the field I'm actually gonna I'm gonna up the ante on my uh position that this won't be the Devontae Smith Najee Harris show for the entire season and I'm gonna I'm gonna trust a, a deep podcast listener to to hold me accountable to this and, and keep track of this for me. I'm, I'm confident someone out there will, you know how to find me. You can at me on Twitter. I'm going to, I'm going to predict that Slade Bolden will have at least one game between now and the end of the season where he has, let's say at least 115 receiving yards and two or more touchdowns. I think that's going to happen at some point during the season. You know what? I actually do. I need to do. I need to up those numbers. No, uh, I, see Is that fair. Th- that's very fair. Um, okay. and, and the reason be like, there are going to be times. Uh, it was one of the big things that we saw. It's one of the big reasons why. It, where I've seen development with Devonte Smith, uh, this is the way that I'll describe it. Last year when he goes for however many catches he had against Ole Miss for 274 yards and five touchdowns, a lot of that was the product of Tua Tungvaloa learning to take what the defense gives him. And what he was trying to take away was Henry Ruggs III and uh, Jerry Judy. And so you that left a lot of opportunities for Devontae Smith. The performance that he had against Mississippi State on Saturday night, the reason that is different despite the fact that it was another dominant performance, was he was kind of the guy. You know, They, they were scheming to try to stop him, not that he was being left uh, in a situation where he just had a ton of easy opportunities. He was making contested catches. He was beating coverage. Uh, and, and so that, to me, going back and watching is where you can see the real growth from Devontae Smith from last year, where he was very, very good last year, but from last year to this year, it was a huge question mark that people had. You know, they said, well, that, you know, even though he statistically he led Alabama's receivers, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs the third were the top two wide receivers as far as the way that defenses 
uh, tried to game plan against him. And really, a lot of people feel like Jalen Waddle was was n- the number three. So it was, you know, can coming into the year it was can Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle step into those roles where now they're the ones having defenses scheme against them, and both of them did a very, very good job of doing that. Jalen Waddle did an excellent job of doing that prior to his injury, and you saw it from Devonte Smith. So. I think that's fantastic because you have a guy who can be your number one option, you know, even if, uh, you know, the defense is trying to scheme him out of things, you know, you can still rely on him, but there are going to be certain situations where you have a defense that is able has, has figured out a way to equation. And I think those are the kind of games where, you know, you're going to see it, Mac Jones take the same approach that Tua Tungvaloa learned to do last year, and that was just take what the defense gives you. If they're taking away Devontae, you've got other options and Slade Bolton and John Mechie who you can trust, and you'll see him take advantage. And I think I completely agree with you. I think that game is coming for, from Slade Bolton at some point because the chemistry is already there. I understand that you know only three catches for 20 yards on three targets – against Mississippi State, but there's chemistry, real chemistry between uh, Mac Jones and Slade Bolden, and I think at some point you'll see that manifest and and you'll see that just massive game from the Slade Cat, and it's going to be fun to watch. There's going to be a lot of people who are excited for him. You know, he's worked really hard. He's kind of played his role in whatever he's been asked to do. They used him a ton in motion. Uh, they kind of used him to some degree in that Jalen Waddle role where it wasn't just lining up in the slot and leaving him in there. They, they took him in motion a bunch. We got to see him as far as being a punt returner. He had the big punt return. Um, so, you know, they're definitely seeing some good things from uh, from him. And, you know, it was a quiet game from John Mechie, and it happens. I don't think that that's going to be, you know, any sort of issue moving forward. So I completely agree with you. Uh, the, the offense right now, this was a game where they could kind of ride those two guys because and, – and part of that was, you know, you rely more on Najee, mostly because Brian Robinson's banged up. You rely more on Devontae Smith. You still got some other options, but at the same time, you know, you don't have Jalen Waddle there. You're like, we got to get him involved in the game plan. You say, okay, we can rely on him, but that doesn't mean that it has to be that way every week, and it won't be. Uh, you'll get Brian Robinson, um, you know, healthy. You'll get Trey Sanders now that he's kind of earned more trust in the coaching staff. You'll probably see him be a bigger part of the offense. So, yeah, I think that it's going to be, you know, a committee approach where guys are going to be having big games, but it's just it's going to kind of be scattered all over the place. I think every week you're going to get Najee Harris uh, getting, you know, uh, a lot of touches and a lot of yards. You know, I don't think they're going to completely, you know, make this a three-headed monster where they're all kind of sharing the same workload. But I think that maybe to the degree that you're talking about, where you're talking, you know, you know, close to 30 touches every single week, that might not be the cl- case. You know, there might be some weeks where he's sitting closer to 20 total touches, you know, 15 carries and five catches or something like that, than a lot closer to 30. So I completely agree with you there. Let's let's wrap up with with this. I know last time I did a a quick breakdown on where Devontae Smith and Najee Harris were stacking up in the school record book. Um, uh, that's changed a, a little bit after Najee's performance and especially after Devontae's when his his four receiving touchdowns tied both the school and SEC record for career receiving touchdowns, 31. Uh, Amari Cooper's school record is is obviously the, the SEC record, also tied with Chris Doring, a former Florida wide receiver that many of you now probably know as an SEC network analyst. Um, Devontae Smith is, is now tied for the school and SEC record uh, for career receiving touchdowns with 31. I'm, I'm going to try and do a little like record or, or kind of stat update on records for at the end of podcasts for just a little, a little cherry on top for people who, who listen through through the, uh, through the entire thing. Obviously when you master your school record and you master your SEC or your conference record, of course, your next look is to the national record, right? And that's that's out of reach for Devontae unless he were to inexplicably come back for next season and have an even bigger season. The, the NCAA record for career receiving touchdowns is 60. It was set by Jarrett Dillard from 2005 to 2008 at Rice. But uh, he has 31 right now. There are four regular season games left. It seems almost an inevitability that Bama's going to play in the SEC championship game. So that's five. And then 
at least one game after that, be it a bowl game or a, a college football playoff semifinal. So that's six. And then, in theory, a national championship game after that would be a seven. So he's definitely going to have at least six games, could have seven. If he were to have nine receiving touchdowns in between now and the end of the season, that would put him at 40 for his career, which has only been done 15 times in FBS history. Currently, Justin Blackman of of Oklahoma State fame is in 15th in FBS history with 40 receiving touchdowns. So if he has nine more in between – Now and the end of his season, not only will he be tied for 15th in NCAA history uh, for career receiving touchdowns, he'll he'll be one of just 16 dudes in FBS football history to have 40 or more receiving touchdowns in a career. Absolutely wild. And I'm so glad that you're keeping up with that, because I think that's a fun way to kind of monitor a lot of these, you know, game reviews is just to. to kind of go back and, and see where these guys are at. Cause that's, that's always super interesting to me and who knows um, from a passing yardage standpoint, we'll start getting Mac Jones involved in the conversation sure. uh, at some point this season. I know it's less games and stuff, but we'll see where he kind of starts to stack up, whether it be against Tua a of a low at Alabama or whether it be against other sec passers or, you know, I know that um, Joe Burrow set the bar pretty, pretty high last year in 15 games. And that's just not feasible. Uh, for Mac Jones to kind of match those numbers and, and you know, at max 13. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of monitor that situation. I think that'll be fun. So I appreciate you giving us an update on that. Hey, give, that, it, give it another year or so. Maybe the Bishop can can work his way into some career tackles records conversation, being a, a, a full-time starter as a freshman and as a sophomore. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. And, you know, as of right now, uh, if we continue to see a ton of growth, he might be, you know, a three and done. But as of right now with where he's currently at, I'm more so probably see him. There's been a lot of linebackers who have chosen to come back for their senior year. You know, Rashawn Evans, Reuben Foster, uh, Reggie Raglan, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. Really, the only one that I can remember, uh, you know, you had the guys like Rolando McLean and Dante Hightower back in the day. But recently, the only one that really didn't, that probably should have, was Mac Wilson. Uh, right. So if, if Christian Harris continues to kind of follow, or the Bishop, I guess is what we're supposed to be calling him now, if yes. he c- continues to follow in those footsteps and feels like you know Nick Saban tells him, we really feel like you can help your draft stop by coming back for your senior year, you might get four years out of him, and then you really need to start talking about it because uh, he'll, he'll definitely be up there. But all right, man, that's good stuff. I appreciate you as always. Appreciate- and, and of course, shout out to the Royal Protector of the Trust Crown. Absolutely, 100%. No doubt about it. All right, so that's going to do it for another episode of the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Wickles Pickles and Homefield Apparel.